0: Hey there! It's Scary Parish. It's Sunday, January fifteenth. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I've got Matt Norlander with me. It was a, a busy Saturday in college basketball. Gonzaga killed St. Mary's last night. Uh, Butler gave Xavier another L. Notre Dame moved to 5-0 in the ACC with a win over Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. TCU made my Friday column look good by beating Iowa State, then uh, jumping into the CBS Sports Top 25-1. and We're going to get to most, if not all, of that. But uh, I wanted to start with what I think was the biggest story from the weekend, if only because everything related to Duke tends to be the biggest story from any weekend. Uh, the Blue Devils lost again, this time at Louisville. So now they're 2-3 uh, in the ACC. Now, on one hand... Uh, the, the last two losses, the ones that came last week, are nothing more than losses at Florida State and at Louisville. Basically, everybody in the country would have been expected to lose those two games, and I know that's a point you made in your column. On the other hand, Duke is 2-3 uh, and three in the ACC for the first time this century, and injured and without its Hall of Fame coach. So where are you with the Blue Devils now? Where should we be with the Blue Devils right now?
1: I'm sure a lot of people listening, GP, are... Ready to say that Duke's not a top 10 team and thinking that we overrated Duke and that the Blue Devils have little business being considered among the three or four most likely teams to win a national title. But I'm not there yet at really at all, because as you said on Friday's podcast, when you almost on the nose predicted the outcome of Louisville Duke in terms of a score, Duke was not playing at home, did not have a Hall of Fame coach. And was going up against a team with a Hall of Fame coach. So they had a lot of elements, and by the way, didn't have a starter in Emile Jefferson. So when you when you realize that Duke didn't have its most pivotal defensive player, which is Jefferson, and Matt Jones, really, really good defensive player, but Jefferson is obviously the guy they need most, especially down low. Not having him, not having Sheshewski, and the fact that they went on the road, played against the Florida State team that I'll be interested to see what happens with them in the polls. Real quick, GP, where do you have Florida State in your top 25 and one? Because they beat Duke at home and then they lose in a competitive game with what a nine-point spread at the end at Carolina. So where do you have FSU right now?
0: I think I've got them 12th uh, right now, but they could easily be like I, I spent way too much time on the top 25 and one. So uh, anybody who is ever critical, like when I when I write the pollotext column, it is usually aimed at somebody who, who quite clearly took no time to actually think about what they're doing. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I, I almost never, in fact, I think I never, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, box myself in, but I, I believe I never, um, you know, go after something that is just subjective. It's It's usually something that by the time I'm finished explaining why uh, I think it's ridiculous, even the person whose ballot I'm attacking can't do anything except shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, you're, you're probably right. That, that tends to be the way those columns go. Um, so my point is, uh, listen, anytime you rank anything, people are going to critique it. But don't ever think I'm not tearing through resumes and, and computer formulas and box scores and everything. Um, because I am. And my, uh, the thing is, and this is sort of what I wrote about this morning, you could reasonably have four different teams ranked number one in the country right now. You could make the case for Villanova. That's who I have, and it's easy. You could make the case for UCLA. It's easy. You could make the case for Kansas. It's easy. And you could make the case for Gonzaga just by pointing at the undefeated record. Um, Sort of the same thing you run into right around 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Like, you could put those teams in basically any order. There's not much difference in their resumes, in their computer numbers, in any of the stuff that I tend to look at. So I've got Florida State 12 and that's because I needed to get North Carolina up and I wanted to have them behind North Carolina after what happened yesterday. But you could reasonably rank Florida State in the top nine. You could reasonably yeah. have them, you know, 15 or so. They've got a great resume and uh, that's a hell of a week for them to split those two games a good yeah.
1: week. Yeah, it's a good week. To me, Louisville and Florida State are unequivocally top 15 teams at worst. And if you wanted to make if you wanted to make top 10 arguments for both, you actually could given what Louisville's done and the wins it's gotten against ranked teams and what Florida state's done and the wins it has. And the fact that it lost against Carolina in a road environment after beating three straight ranked teams. So I, I'm not ready to, to sell on Duke. Don't have Krzyzewski, don't have Jefferson yet. Now they get a full week to rest before they get a home game. So If you want to say this team is overrated and the fact that they're two and three for the first time in eons in the ACC play, I get that. They've actually had, you know, some stumbles in recent years. They were never below 500 through five games at the exact five game mark. So this is a little bit aberrational, obviously. And then also, you know, Grayson Allen got tied up with Donovan Mitchell, whatever. Um, He can't go one game without having... Uh, something It's simply ridiculous. He cannot play one 40-minute game, GP, without something happening. And this time he was on the wrong end of it because Mitchell got him in the face. But aside from all that crap, he was the most important player on the floor for Duke yesterday. He had a relatively good game all around. He is the default point guard now. And so... It was good for Duke to get that because they were booing every time he had the ball. You know, he's aware of what's going on. He spoke afterward about it. He hears it, tries not to think about it. He still played relatively well against, hello, a really terrific backcourt. Louisville's one of the best defensive teams in the country. So to me, once you add Jefferson back into the mix, and I'm assuming you're going to get some better play from Harry Giles, who played the most minutes he's ever played in a game. Granted, he's like seven games deep into his college career, but he's getting more conditioning, getting more in. He's not as awesome right now as I thought he would be. He's not even really good. You could say he's not even good at this point. But Jefferson comes back. Giles is able to play 30 competent minutes. If Allen's able to do this, and oh, by the way, Luke Kennard is still a top-ten player of the year candidate. If you want to even put him top six or seven, I still think that's legitimate. That's why I'm not concerned yet about Duke. And if we assembled a bracket today or tomorrow, uh, I I wouldn't take Duke to win it all if they didn't have Jefferson. But if you give me a fully healthy Duke team, they would be my top four you know, teams I would most strongly consider to win the title, even with what they've done over the past week and a half.
0: That's the thing. like I, So I've got Duke ranked 15th right now, which might actually be low, except the perception of it is that it's too high. Like I can't tell you how many replies I got on Twitter from, oh, uh, hey, uh, hey, good job not making sure you drop Duke too far. You know, people think that because Duke is always in the top 15 – that somehow there's like a Duke bias that exists, and and it's just like you got to keep Duke ranked in the top fifteen no matter what. The truth is Duke is always a top fifteen team, like that, like you know, like uh, you look at all the computer numbers, all of the anything. Duke, like Duke, is always good. That's why Duke is always ranked. And while this team is obviously not operating the way a lot of us thought it would operate in the preseason, um, they're still good. They're still really good by any measuring uh, uh, stick. They're just not as good as we thought they were going to be. And uh, Jesus, they haven't been healthy like a minute of the season, not to the extent that they wanted to be or thought they would be. You know, at first it was, and we've been through all of this, Harry Giles, Marquise Bull, then uh, Jason Tatum in street clothes to start the season. Uh, then they come back, but even Giles isn't healthy yet. And that was obvious again yesterday. And, and even if he is healthy, he's just not He's not a good basketball player right now. Like, uh, uh, you pick whatever it is. I'm sure one has something to do with the other. Uh, but he's not anything close to what they they hoped he would be in what is presumably his only year of college. Bolden isn't, like, can't get can on the court. So that's, like, you can't get on the court when Emil Jefferson in on, on in the, on the rotation? Like, that's not a good thing. So uh, Bolden's not what they thought he'd be. Giles is still recovering. Um, uh Jefferson's hurt Grayson was suspended they've just been through a lot of stuff and they're still okay not where they wanted to be but still okay and so um, I'm not as confident in them as I as I was in October but I'm with you like if you tell me Duke is going to be healthy when the NCAA tournament starts and I you give me a handful of teams like give me four picks they'll definitely be in my top four and they might end up being my number one
1: yeah I agree and Quick note on Bolden. I tweeted this out, but he was in the draft express top 15 in the preseason. He's no longer in the mock draft for 2017. And for 2018, which is not as strong of a year as 2017, he's, you know, right now, Jonathan Gavoni does a really good job. He's one of a, a, a small group of people that does their homework and knows what they're talking about. Bolden's like barely cracking the top 20. So yeah, that's been a little bit of a mystery there, how he's not been able to adapt whatsoever. And, uh, you know, that's, I don't know if it's, problematic for duke but he was certainly expected to be someone that would contribute and that's not even happening and it was it was glaring specifically not having him being able to help in any real tangible way in the louisville game
0: really quickly on louisville and i tweeted this earlier um because they've got right now the second best defensive efficiency rating uh in the country and they have never been outside of the top five i think for like seven straight years 2011 they finished fifth defensive efficiency 2012 first 2013 first 2014 fifth 2015 fifth 2016 second and right now they're second so you're talking about you know rick patino and and i've written about this before this isn't anything new um but like like we're watching one of the great defensive college basketball coaches of all time because with the amount of turnover you have in college basketball um if your teams are consistently top five defensive efficiency rating, that's because of the coach. That's not because of anything other than the the guy in charge of, of, of teaching the, these, these young players how to, how to play. So that's a really impressive string of, of uh, unbelievably gifted defensive basketball teams. And I wonder, you know, listen, that, that defense is going to, obviously it can, it can put them in a position to beat anybody because they've beaten some really good teams, but like, history says you've got to be better offensively than Louisville is to win a national championship. It's very difficult to win it uh, with the offensive efficiency rating they have, even if the defensive efficiency rating is, is top shelf. So it'll be interesting to see um, whether they uh, get that sorted out or at the very least, just get it um, in a better position going forward, because uh, you've ultimately, and I think especially in this season where everybody's scoring, you're going to have, you're going to need to score and out and outscore somebody um, on your way to a national championship, let me tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a c- confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or show uh, that you want to attend. None of the older ticket sites um, have really been aggressive about trying to make it less confusing, uh, but SeatGeek is is different. They've created an amazing app and website, and they've made it easier uh, than ever for for people like you and I to buy and sell tickets it's always the first place I go when I'm gonna buy a ticket to a game or a concert it is the uh, place you should go it's the place Norlander goes and you should use the college uh, BB promo code that's college BB college BB and you'll get a $20 rebate off your first Seageek purchase so here's the way it's gonna work you're gonna download the Seageek app then you're gonna purchase the tickets to whatever you wanna go to then you're gonna use the promo code college BB and Seageek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase very simple Again, the promo code is college BB. That's college BB, SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So I was handling sideline duty yesterday for uh, the Memphis South Florida game at FedEx Forum, but I got home in time uh, to settle in for uh, St. Mary's and Gonzaga. And I think you and I were both on the same page. That was the game we were most looking forward to. And while it was not a competitive game, uh, certainly not in the second half. It was an incredibly impressive performance by the Zags, maybe the most impressive performance by anybody this entire weekend because they absolutely hammered a legitimate top 25 team, remained undefeated. And now I think it's it's reasonable to wonder whether they're going to enter Selection Sunday with with zero losses. And I, you know, because it is still statistically improbable, but it's not impossible They've got like a 33% chance, according to Ken Palm right now, to enter the WCC tournament with a perfect record. And if they do that, they'll obviously be favored on a neutral court against any WCC team they have to play, St. Mary's included. So do you think Gonzaga is going to be zero losses on Selection Sunday? I don't. I you
1: know, I I don't outright explicitly root for Gonzaga, although that uh, few in his coaching staff um, – good guys there and it's it's good for college basketball if it happens so i root for the story so if if gonzaga can get to selection sunday without a loss that's just you know it's a talking point and something that will bring more attention to the sport and gonzaga is you know they're a fun team and so i root for that uh i don't think it'll happen i did put it on twitter i tossed up a poll i'm approaching 800 votes here um 73 of people i said over under 1.5 losses because they still have road games at St. Mary's, at BYU, those are the two toughest. And then you know maybe you get one of those two teams in the WCC final. Who knows what happens in one game uh, when one team might you know desperately need it for seeding purposes, or BYU would need it probably to get the auto bid. Um, so to me, the absolute like worst case scenario for Gonzaga is three losses: losing at St. Mary's, losing at BYU, and getting plugged. That ain't happening.
0: They ain't losing three times. I
1: know. I know it's not happening. I'm saying the worst case, okay? Yeah, like uh, Nigel
0: Williams-Goss. Like has a car wreck and breaks his leg. Right, so
1: right now we've hit a point here where – what's the percentage right now for Gonzaga undefeated on KempOMGP? I, I want to say it was
0: 33.7, but let me double-check for you. Um, I would
1: love you – know, uh, I'd love to know what's more likely at this point, three losses for Gonzaga or zero losses for Gonzaga? Because if I had to choose between the two, I would really go zero. go zero, which is obviously <laughs> kind of nuts – but it's, it speaks to the league. It also speaks to how good this team is. Um, St. Mary's got some issues. Uh, Jock Landell got into some foul trouble. And, but Gonzaga just had it figured out at home. They, they played well. I don't think that much less of St. Mary's. And I still think St. Mary's will be up and ready and will have a good chance at beating Gonzaga when they have that game on their home floor in February. But, yeah, if you want to say because of the way Gonzaga won GP – let's just start entertaining this idea because of how good Gonzaga looks. I'm ready to do that. And this is, by the way, the best start in program history. Fuse had some good teams over the years, never had a team that started this well. And it's impressive because he's doing it with veterans. Yes, but he's doing it with guys that are transfers that weren't initially his recruits. You've got guys uh, like, you know, Jordan Matthews, who's a grad transfer. You know, he did not even sit out a year like Nigel Williams Goss did. So to do it like this it's, it's getting interesting. I do think they're going to take at least one loss before Selection Sunday, but I'll, I'll tag it with this. I remain steadfast, and if Gonzaga is undefeated, they're going to be a one seed. It's not even going to be on the table. Um, it, in fact, they'll probably be the number one overall seed if they're undefeated, I would think, as long as everyone else has at least two losses. If they have one loss, I still would not entertain them not being a one seed. Two losses, we'll see. We'll play it up from there but they are they are tracking to be a one seed and uh, it will be interesting to see. And we'll talk about this more in February when we've got more to look at. But if UCLA can, if it stays on its path and Gonzaga stays on its path, both teams would have a right to a number one seed, but one team would not get that one out West. So something just to kind of track forward as we, uh, as we move on.
0: You mentioned UCLA. Um, they just completed the toughest two game road trip. They're going to have all season and they won both games at Colorado and at Utah is the toughest road trip any Pac-12 team has to take outside outside of at USC and at UCLA, and they obviously don't have to do that one because they are UCLA. So it doesn't mean that they're going to run away with the Pac-12. Uh, hell, they're not even in first place in the Pac-12 right now. Um, but they've got their toughest two game stretch behind them, and uh, and I don't want to say they handled it with ease um, because like the, the yesterday's game at Utah came down to the final seconds. Uh, but they they won both games and uh, they were brilliant offensively, uh, d- undeniably Thursday night, like they set a record with nineteen three pointers. But then yesterday, um, they scored enough to win, which is what they're I think they're going to do way more often than not in the season, just score uh, enough to win. With Gonzaga, um, so I so th- to your point, I think Gonzaga and UCLA are both going to be in the one seat conversation, and that will. Um, that'll be a fascinating debate inside that committee room. Like, what do you do with these teams? Because you might end up having to, you know, how do you balance a, like, let's say, let's say UCLA does get there with like three losses and Gonzaga gets there with one, right? Selection Sunday. That's where we're sitting. How do you, how do you compare those resumes? Because I don't think it'll be clear. The one loss team is got the better resume than the three loss team. Given that the three loss team could end up being a UCLA team that, you know, loses at Oregon at the buzzer, let's say at Arizona,
1: and the team then, Gonzaga defeated. But granted, it wasn't a road game,
0: right? And then you know at somewhere else or in the Pac-12 tournament. I just think it'll be it'll be interesting, and I'm glad you mentioned that because when I wrote about Gonzaga last night and I tweeted it this morning, I was so tired I couldn't even wait for it to publish. I like I like I I sent it in and just went to sleep. I was like I'll deal with this in the morning. So I got up early this morning and and tweeted uh, a link to. Just some thoughts about Gonzaga's win over St. Mary's and immediately it's like, oh yeah, well, like it's easy to go undefeated when you don't play anybody. First off, if it were easy to go undefeated, somebody would do it every year. All right. It's it's very difficult to go to Selection Sunday with an unblemished record. I won't pretend that it's it, it can't be easier if you're a really good NBC team or a really good WCC team like Wichita State was a few years ago and like Gonzaga is now. Um, obviously it, it, close to impossible to do it if you're an ACC team. Uh, maybe impossible to do it if you're a Big 12 team. I know it's nothing's impossible, but you get my point. So I got it. Like, I understand they play in a WCC schedule instead of the ACC schedule. But don't pretend for a second that they haven't beaten anybody on the way to this 17-0 and record. They've got to win over a Florida team that I think is clearly the second best team in the SEC. They've got to win over an Iowa State team that is still a a top thirty team in America. They've got a win over an Arizona team. Uh, Arizona team that's only lost, I think, twice all season, and is top twenty at Ken Palm. Um And then they've got that dominant win over St. Mary's team that is, you know, t- still top twenty at Ken Palm. So they've got one, two, three, four. I believe, yeah, four top twenty-five Ken Palm wins and zero losses. They're ranked third at Ken Palm. That's an unbiased statistical formula. Um, so there's not. This isn't something where, you know, some team played nobody out of the league and now is playing nobody in their league and they're undefeated. So what? Um, Gonzaga's got four high four high level wins under its belt already, and that's why, you know, I, I know our buddy Rob Doster tweeted earlier. Like, if Gonzaga's undefeated, there's going to be a debate about whether they should get us one seed. There is not going to be a debate at all. Uh, uh, a for the reason you said. Every time you get Idiot. a Yeah. Oh, I mean, it'll be a dumb debate. I mean, I guess if you want to debate dumb stuff, you can, like climate change. Like, I guess there's a debate about that among some people, but, like, whatever. But, like, Gonzaga with four top 25 Kimpong wins and an undefeated record, that's a one seed. Easy. Like, that'll be the the least debated thing by the selection committee. So this is something that Gonzaga has dealt with before and will deal with until they break through and get to the Final Four. And on some level, that's fair you know, I guess if, if, when people start talking about him as a final Four team, it is, it is fair for somebody to point out, guys, we've had, we've been having this conversation for 15 years. It never happens. Um, like I, I, guess it's fair if only because it's true, but it is why I do on some level root for Gonzaga to finally break through. If only because we never have to defend what is, you know, basically a hall of fame career Mark Few is putting together. Um, in in one of the consistently really good programs in America. You you shouldn't have to defend a 17-0 record uh, with a program as established as this program. But you do, and part of it's because they've never broken through and gotten to that Final Four before.
1: Yeah, and if you're interested on when those two games that Gonzaga would be most vulnerable for losses, they play at BYU on February 2nd. It is a tough place to play. BYU tends to do well there. It's a kind whistle, and February 11th at St. Mary's is the other one. Um, don't see them. They've got other road games, but I just don't see them losing. And BYU, by the way, took a bad loss, relatively speaking. They lost at San Diego, which is not a good team um, over the weekend. So BYU's uh, at-large hopes are officially dead, with that loss, in my opinion. But uh, but yeah, man, Gonzaga is going to be. Uh, There'll be an interesting story, and I'll have something up uh, later this week early this week on Gonzaga going undefeated at this point, being the last undefeated and how they compare with uh, other teams in the past.
0: So Xavier fans have uh, thought that I had them underrated or, or ranked too low uh, in, in recent weeks, really going back to when they lost back-to-back games to Baylor and Colorado. And my sort of explanation has always been, nobody likes Chris Mack more than I like Chris Mack, but this basketball team hasn't been good. And, now they've taken two more losses and while they were at Villanova and at Butler so that's a little bit like Duke losing at Florida State and at Louisville like what are you going to do those are that's those are scheduled losses um the truth is they still don't look good and they don't have much in the in terms of quality wins they've beaten Wake Forest they've beaten Clemson they've beaten Utah um one of those games was on a neutral the other two were at home outside you know they won at Georgetown i guess you can be happy about that but like there ain't okay. much there ain't much there
1: there's not and I, I just i you know i bursted out a quick column on this because i thought it was it was time to do this because also they've got a quick turnaround they host creighton monday afternoon not even monday night so they've got less than a 48 hour turnaround before they got to play the blue jays who by the way you know they're going to need to win the big east to have a right to a number one seed but that's another team. I don't think people realize how awesome Creighton is. Um, That's not going to be easy for Xavier Creighton 17 and one. And they're, they're going into Cincinnati to me right now. Clemson. No, not a surefire tournament team. Utah. They're good, but they're not a surefire tournament team. Wake forest. The the metrics like them, but I've, I've seen them play to me. That's not a tournament team this year, probably a year away. And those are the best wins. And then at Georgetown, not a tournament team at this point. Now, could some of those teams get into the dance? Obviously, they could. But as we let's just sit and evaluate where we are right now, what teams have done, and what they look like. Right now, Xavier does not have a win over an NCAA tournament team that's projected to get there at this point. So that's some reason for concern. And I also, in my preview for the weekend, I wrote, you know, this is oddly kind of a good thing for the Big East because Xavier has— and I'll be interested to see if they're ranked in the polls on Monday because both losses are reasonable, but they are two losses. So if they drop out, they were fifteenth. I would expect that to happen, but maybe they just cling on. But they've been ranked for more than a year. And I wrote that they, they kind of have coasted on on name and, and school brand. And by the way, you know, those are things that that definitely can happen. People that want to criticize, you know, Duke for consistently being a top fifteen team. I think that, you know, those things uh, can also sometimes be a play. But it's good for the Big East that, <laughs> that this is a case where you've got schools that are not named Villanova that might be uh, benefiting just you know purely by their name because Xavier gets to the tournament almost every damn year. It's a nationally relevant program. I would qualify it as a top 30 program in America. But now the time where we need to realize what they haven't done. Yes, 13-4 and record is solid, I guess, but the wins just aren't quite there yet. And big opportunity against Creighton. You lose that game, lose that game, Man, they got to play at Cincinnati, huge rivalry game on the road on January 26th. And St. John's isn't a good team, but St. John's has randomly pulled some stuff out. It just it gets really hairy for Xavier who I think will get into the tournament with with plenty of room to spare. But it just it felt time to discuss a little bit of what they haven't yet done. And I think they can get there, but I want to see them be better. I still believe – I remember talking, what, a couple weeks ago, GP on the podcast. I still think this team can be good, and I tag my column with. Ironically, maybe they end up being some sort of weird under-the-radar sleeper type team, which is actually when they've been best in the tournament. It hasn't been when they've been highly seeded. When they've made good second-weekend runs, it's because they've either been something of a sleeper pick or maybe a little bit of a chic upset pick. Maybe, oddly, Xavier becomes that, or – they this was you know two tough road games against two really good teams butler's resume is awesome we're just you know we're at the halfway point of the season we turn it on three weeks from now we see that xavier's racked up good wins over creighton they steal one at cincinnati and you know villanova came to its home floor mid-february they got a win there and they're fine but in the here and now you know if you're xavier you've got a little bit of concern the team should be better than what it is
0: yes and they the good news is they've got an opportunity to you know if the critique of them is yo who you be beaten? It's January fifteenth. Your best wins Clemson. Like what well, you know? If that's the issue with Xavier, well then here's the good news. They got an opportunity to to eliminate that that question uh, on Monday afternoon, like you said, because they've got they've got Creighton in their building. And while uh, I agree with you, Creighton is Final Four good because they're terrific offensively. Uh, you know they're sitting here as a one loss team, middle of January. The lone loss is a loss to the team I. Th- should be ranked number one in the country and that's Villanova Um, as good as Creighton is and has been um, if you're a legitimate top 20 team which Xavier fans would say that they are I think or at least they would have a week ago um, you got to knock this one out like this is the this is the game you got to get like you got to lose it on the road uh, you know I still I've still got I don't think I dropped Xavier at all for the loss at Butler lose close games on the road to higher ranked teams I'm not going to penalize you for that but you got to win your home games, and so this is a big opportunity on uh, on, on Monday afternoon. Notre Dame, five and zero in the ACC. Raise your hand if you saw this coming.
1: No one is raising their hand to that because, oh man, Mike Bray, he's just awesome. I I don't know how this is being done. I think I'm going to write about Notre Dame this week because now they got the road game against Florida State coming up on Wednesday. So that'll be right. You know, it's two different kind of styles, two different kind of teams. That'll be a tough game. Um, and no shame whatsoever if Notre Dame drops that, because no one thought you know it's right now, on top of the ACC. <laughs> the ACC standings are so weird right now to a certain extent because Notre Dame's the only unbeaten team left in league play. You got Duke below 500, NC State, who I thought would be top four in the conference, is sitting at one and three. Notre Dame just continues to be really, really good. They got to win against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, has a quick side note, is 1-3 since it beat Duke when Duke didn't have Grayson Allen. Just keep an eye on the Hokies. They were feeling like a nice tournament team. They still might be that, but uh, let's see what they do going forward here. They haven't been too good over the past couple of weeks. Notre Dame has defeated Pittsburgh on the road in OT, and that was an entertaining and close game. They won by one. They took out Louisville uh, in South Bend. They took out Clemson in South Bend. They got a win over Miami and then a win over Virginia Tech in a span of, of uh, just two days, on Thursday and then, and then Saturday, so hugely impressive. It's a span to start. of three days in Orlando. Yeah, three days, but yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Two games in, in three days, and then uh, yeah, man, Bonzi Colson's been awesome. Matt Farrell made a huge, huge play on Saturday. Steve Astoria continues. I mean, Astoria hit a big shot near the end of that game against Virginia Tech that kind of sealed it. He's become like you know their big shot guy. Hard not to like what Notre Dame is, and their only losses, both on neutral courts, to Villanova, and a Purdue team that will challenge Wisconsin and maybe Michigan State uh, to be the champs of the Big Ten. No, it's been awesome, and like,
0: you know, it it doesn't register,
1: I don't guess, you know, going out and
0: winning at Miami and at Virginia Tech in a three-day span because I think Miami at the time is unranked and Virginia Tech at the time is unranked, but like, that's a hell of a two-game road trip to get. I mean, you go win at those places, go look at what, how often. I think Miami's loss to Notre Dame at home the other night was their first loss at home since Northeastern beat them last year in the non-league schedule. So, like, I, I think that's true. Like, I don't believe a another an ACC school won at Miami at all last year. Let me make sure that's mm-hmm. right before I just start making things up. That is true. An ACC school did not win a game at Miami last year. And so for Notre Dame to go in and win in that place is incredibly impressive. And then to back it with a win at Virginia Tech, um, it is a testament to the culture and program that Mike Bray has has built because he has turned into you know, one of the consistently really good coaches in America. And what I mean by that is uh, he's turned into a coach who's responsible for one of the consistently really good programs in America. Like, it doesn't matter who they lose. doesn't matter who they bring in. They can lose a first-team All-American. They're still fine. Back-to-back Elite Eights past two years, and they're now on their way to their seventh straight NCAA tournament. Like, just, you know, don't ever take that for granted. You know, I, I mean, we'll get to this in a moment. But Pitt fans started taking for granted just going to NCAA tournaments. Because, like, okay, we go every year, but then what? We don't go to the Final Four, so what's the point? do not ever take going to you know obviously if you're kentucky if you're duke if you're carolina it's
1: like 10 to 12 programs and i don't even think it's that many else. i don't even think it's that yeah. many
0: like louisville like just don't ever take going to the ncaa tournament every year for granted because it ain't easy to do and it is an accomplishment and mike is now about to do it for the seventh straight year Um, It reminds me a little bit, I think obviously the NCAA tournament finishes have been a little bit better than the other program I'm going to mention, but Mick Cronin has turned Cincinnati into like a consistently good program regardless of of the parts. Doesn't matter who he loses, doesn't matter who he brings in, they're going to be borderline top 25 and in the NCAA tournament. I think Mick's about to go for the sixth or seventh straight year. Yeah, Mike's yeah, about to go really good. Xavier
1: yeah. in that in that city. Xavier, Xavier like is right? Past like, yeah. yeah,
0: like, just don't ever take that for granted. I used to tell Memphis fans this all the time. Like, Josh Pastor was getting booed and going to four straight NCAA tournaments, and I'm not trying to defend the last two years, but my point was like, this doesn't, you know, going to four straight NCAA tournaments, you know, at a place like Memphis, isn't something that should be taken for granted. And um, I-, I hope Notre Dame fans, uh, Cincinnati fans, uh, appreciate that. Because they've got guys who are running their programs at a high level. Maybe not going out and getting McDonald's All-Americans and one-and-done guys and, and, and being ranked top five in the country consistently. But and, you know, if the goal at a place like those places is to have a consistently relevant and good college basketball program, uh, Mike at Notre Dame and Mick at Cincinnati have absolutely um, they've developed that and they've maintained it uh, for, for a significant period of time now.
1: And Mike, he has, so Krzyzewski doesn't like to coach against his former assistants, so he tries to avoid it when all, whenever he can, but now he can't do it with Bray because they're in the same conference. since Notre Dame, switched from the biggest to the ACC, and it's something like five of the past six times Notre Dame has played Duke, Notre Dame has won. I mean, he, and and if you look at what Duke's done basically against all, over, all other ACC opponents over that span, no one has a winning rate over the past four seasons against Duke, like Notre Dame. It's pretty amazing what he's been able to do, even when you look at it, you know, on a micro level when it comes to that. But yeah, Notre Dame, listen, tracking toward a number three seed. Uh, if it continues to romp in the in the ACC, you know, obviously a number a two or a number one will be on the table. Let's just see a little bit more of what they can do, but certainly turning into one of the really good stories so far this season. I'm sure some people don't fully buy in yet because, you know, they don't know who Bonson Colson is. They don't know who Steve is or Matt Farrell. That doesn't matter. Every single year, I mean, they've lost guys who have turned themselves into a nice developmental culture there. So don't write off Notre Dame because they don't necessarily have a superstar or whatever like that. They're legit, and they are almost definitely going to be a top-four team in the standings at the end of the year in what is a loaded ACC. And, by the way, top four is – Worst case scenario, I, I would think now um, they're in near lock to be top three.
0: And that's the other thing about, about college basketball. It obviously helps to have Lonzo ball or De'Aaron Fox or one and done players like that, but or like a Devin Downey shout out to Devin Downey, but you don't have to have college superstars like De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo ball and Devin Downey to be able to, to uh, operate at a high level. And, and perhaps that's what's happening at, at, at Notre Dame right now. Last thing uh, before we get out of here, uh, TCU is now sitting at fourteen and three uh, after Saturday's win over Iowa State. They beat Iowa State eighty-four, uh, seventy-seven. Uh, a great crowd in you know a, a renovated arena. Uh, Jamie Dixon, obviously in his first year at TCU, um, he was the first coach ever to start his tenure eight zero at TCU. Um, he's got a team that's ranked top 35 at Ken Palm right now. I've got them in the top 25, one and one um, at CBS and I wrote a column on Friday, basically explaining, and because it's something, I, it's a, it's something I've written before, just in general or said in before in general, um, and I, I, well, I 100% believe it to be true. There are exceptions to this, but but for the most part, if you are a Power Five program who is willing to invest in men's basketball in all of the ways that you need to invest in men's basketball, and then, and then you hire the right coach and give him the resources to hire the right staff, uh, you can be good. I, I don't know that that's true in football. Like I, I think there are some Power 5 football programs that it just really doesn't matter. You're going to be what you're going to be. But in college basketball, you can break through if you get the right guy. And TCU, once it got into the Big 12 and it got Big 12 money, it decided, let's let's get good at men's basketball. And they, I think, threw $77 million at the arena. But then they also invested in all of the other ways you have to invest to convince Jamie Dixon to leave Pitt and come take over at his alma mater. Now, they had a couple of windows that were open for them that otherwise, uh, that that allowed them to get the, quote, right coach for their job. One is Jamie's a TCU alum. Uh, But the truth is, like, if TCU wouldn't have invested in really invested, Jamie wouldn't have gone back to his alma mater to be a bottom tier Big 12 program. So they had to throw money at it, and and then that's how they could get the, attention, get the attention of one of their alums. And the other thing is, like, Pitt fans were just, had stopped appreciating, you know, Jamie having a consistent winner. Um, you know, I think sometimes this gets lost because even Pitt fans were tweeting me, you know, Jamie left on his own. We didn't push him out. The Pitt administration actually lowered his buyout to allow him to go. They made it easier for him to go. If they wanted to keep him, you know what you do? You say, we're not changing your buyout. If you're leaving, you got to pay every penny of it. And, but beyond that, we don't want you to leave. Here's a raise. They didn't offer a raise, and they lowered his buyout. They pushed him out the door. And I don't know. Like I like Kevin Stallings a lot, but I can't imagine he's going to go to the NCAA tournament nearly as often as Jamie Dixon went to the NCAA tournament. I imagine Pitt fans someday— uh, will wonder, oh, whoa, we had it pretty good. Why why didn't we appreciate it and enjoy it a little bit more? But either way, because they didn't, combined with the fact that TCU was willing to invest, um, you know, they, they got the right guy, and they've done all the right things. And now they're sitting here with one, two, three, four top 100 wins, two top 50 wins, including a win over the Illinois State team that beat Wichita State pretty convincingly Saturday night. Um, and like I said, I don't know if they'll be ranked in the A people on Monday, but I do have them ranked in the top 25 and one. And I had some people say, hey, don't get too excited. Remember, this is, TCU was, started the season 13-0 a couple years ago, which is true. But in that year, it was 13-0 and 0 with zero top 100, maybe one 100 top. I think it was one top 150 win. They beat nobody. It was a bunch of 300s and 200 level teams. Uh, this TCU team has beaten real opponents, Illinois State, beaten Oklahoma, beaten Texas. By the way, Texas just played West Virginia to the buzzer, uh, beaten Iowa State. And so I don't know where it goes from here, uh, but TCU is going to be good at men's basketball going forward, and the reason is because they decided to invest, and and they decided to hire the right coach, and they were able to hire the right coach because they decided to invest, and that should be a lesson to every other uh, Power Five program. If you want to be good, you can be. You just have to do those two things: invest like crazy and go get the right guy.
1: Yeah, I got two quick hits, non-TCU related, before we wrap up, GP. But my response to that is, it's paying immediate dividends. They're looking strong. They're looking like they will contend for a tournament bid this year. Let's see what else they can do on the road in league play. And at the very, at the very worst, TCU is going to be. Uh, a factor in the league in the big 12 and I don't expect Dixon to have the same amount of consistent success at TCU that he had at Pittsburgh but it's going to be such an uptick from what the program was that yeah I think as long as he's there and I, I you know unless TCU gets amazing and then Dixon gets a job opportunity at like a big time job maybe you know there's just enough success but just enough failure where this is the job that Jamie Dixon retires at, and he's there for another 15 years, and in that 15-year span, TCU goes to eight NCAA tournaments, which would be just monumental for that program. Monumental, but I think
0: also a realistic goal.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. Um, interested to see what they can do on the recruiting trail, but it's paying. Already so it's got paying right, right, now,
0: right now they have, the, just for uh, context, they have a top 30 recruiting class signed. And it's the third best in the Big Twelve. That's what they just did in November.
1: It's 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 been rolling. So keep an eye on them. I don't know if they'll get to the tournament this year, but they might. They might. Um, they're going to have to to win at home and probably steal a couple on the road. But you're right. It's uh, it's certainly something to take notice of because when you take a job like that, it would have been acceptable. And understandable if it took Dixon until his third year to get it going. Sure. They seem they seem to get it going right off the bat, and we'll see what happens. GP two quick two quickies for you here, okay? Mm-hmm. And we'll wrap up. Um, one I feel that we should mention this because it is now history. UConn women have now won 91 straight games, breaking their own record. Three of the four longest win streaks in Division I basketball history actually belong to the UConn women. The other one being obviously UCLA in the wooden days. So I wanted to acknowledge that uh, we don't have to get into a hole. Is it good or bad for women's basketball? But I thought it was worth mentioning because that did happen with a win over SMU over the weekend. And it is it is remarkable to me that Gino, it's not just one team or one recruiting class. This has happened with separate groups, separate players in separate eras. He's had three of the four longest win streaks ever in Division one. It's it's amazing to me, and there's something fascinating about the fact that he has just continued to stay there despite having opportunities elsewhere to coach. Did you have just a, a kind of a, a quick take? If not, I just wanted to kind of hit you with that because it was, you know, within college I, yeah, basketball, no, it was something that was, you know, it, what, what Gino has done at Winter, UConn,
0: yeah, what Gino's done at UConn is as impressive, if not more impressive, than what John Wooden did at UCLA. He should be thought of as. Uh, one of the greatest basketball coaches who has ever lived, period. I I don't mean women's basketball coaches. I don't mean, uh, you know, New England basketball coaches. I don't mean, uh, you know, American Athletic Conference. But He's one of the greatest coaches of the sport of basketball to ever live. Undeniably, one of the... um, uh, you know, most accomplished. We, I guess you could debate best if you wanted to. That's subjective. But he's undeniably one of the uh, most accomplished, if not the most accomplished. And so uh, it's amazing. I know people discount it because things seem so easy for them. I think 89 of the 91 wins have been by double digits. But things yeah. are so easy for them because of him, because of the cr- program he's built, because of the culture he's developed, because of the way they recruit. And uh, obviously because of the way he teaches. Because that just like there's a reason this stuff has never been done before. It's hard to do, and so it's an amazing accomplishment. And I'm glad you brought it up because it deserves uh, to be mentioned. What what he's done there is is something is unlike. uh, I don't know that we'll ever see it again. How about that?
1: Yeah i i i don't I don't think that we will. And to me, you know, women's college basketball specifically, it kind of has like the, you know, pardon me for getting you know, eighth grade history on you, but. Pat Summit was the Triassic period, and now is the Jurassic period, so to speak. Like, there were two distinct, different eras dominated um, in large part. You know, Pat Summit is just everything to women's college basketball and established and legitimized that sport. And then, obviously, those two had a rivalry that actually, frankly, it got contentious and led to the halting of that series, unfortunately. And now, since Summit has had to step away, Geno has continued to only just get even better and better, and UConn continues going forward. Uh, My real quick take is that I actually think it's good for women's basketball because if UConn wins 30 games and loses and wins 24 games and loses, we just don't talk about them as much, or at least we're talking about them. Whenever they do lose, it will be a story, Um, and now people will just kind of They'll be on the radar there, and it'll be interesting for women, the women's tournament going in, because I think there will be some doubt, because this is apparently a team that's not even remotely on the same level as the team from the past two years. My other thing for you, real quick, GP, um, I'm going to give a shout out to Jeff Grammer at the Albuquerque Journal, because so Colorado State and New Mexico play, And New Mexico's on some shaky ground. Uh, Craig Neal, their head coach, you know, hot seat issues, the fan base, that's an underrated. Uh, passionate fan base in new mexico they care that's the pro team essentially there in that area and the lobos have not been good enough enough to sanders in recent years so grammar tells me that in the pregame he without a doubt heard he didn't hear specific words but he knew could tell there was some trash talk from colorado state players to new mexico players uh new mexico coaches excuse me and maybe uh, it was going a little bit both ways but the crazy part is so after the game ends so new mexico goes on the road beats colorado state Grammar wants to get more of the story So he goes outside the arena to kind of follow up with the coaches and by pure coincidence First of all, this almost never happens So the video is on the site and you've probably seen it if you're you know a heavy Twitter user But Emmanuel Mogbo, who was the player that lost his parents in a house fire almost a year ago to the day I wrote about it. He starts going after the New Mexico coaches and the New Mexico coaches are outside their bus They're not yet on the bus and they're kind of just like keep walking learn to lose with dignity um Amogba, like wants to fight him. And Larry Eustachy is holding Amogbo back. And it's it's half like, hold me back, hold me back, and half like, he kind of wanted to throw down there. Um, but the crazy thing is we don't even know about this story if Grammar doesn't follow up and go to talk to New Mexico coaches. So he's out there with his phone, and we got it on video. It was just, I felt, bringing up on the podcast because it was such a weird event that you almost would never see, but because a reporter had the instinct to go and try and talk to the coaches, he just happened to be out there when a Magba was walking to his car outside the arena and wanted it, and wanted to like throw down. And by the way, Terrence wrencher, Chris Harriman, both New Mexico assistant coaches were ejected in the game because they had left the bench during uh, a potential scuffle and that's against the rules. So they got booted from it. So it was just a really weird event. None of neither of those teams, unless they win their tournament uh, conference tournament are going, but, you will almost never see that happen, and the fact that it happened outside the arena and was caught on video, I just thought was notable and also pretty strange. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know
0: what to say about this exactly because I still don't know who was right and who was wrong. You know, if it was just right. a player losing his mind, then it was a player losing his mind, and he should be disciplined for that. On the other hand, and this is certainly the story that Larry Eustace is floating, um, if it were, if it, if it were, an, if it's a case of an assistant coach antagonizing a student athlete like that's that's ridiculous childish stupid and if, if that's what happened here then uh who was it terrence is that the one who's accused yeah then terrence should and be pun-
1: terrence in, you see terrence is in the video and he's you know it's he's, he's doing nothing it. he's it's,
0: doing nothing to diffuse it like at the very least he could have been right he could have been like hey you guys play great uh, you know let's uh, let's not that he was standing there antagonizing on some level like he, or or at the very least, he wasn't trying to defuse it. I didn't think that was a good look for Terrence.
1: Did you? I, I, I would, no, I, 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 don't think it was a good look. And even if this was totally, and I, you know, I don't have this for sure, but even if it was Amago and or other Colorado State players that instigated this before the game, talking about you guys are going to lose your jobs and whatnot, which right. is also uncalled for and shouldn't happen. The, uh, no matter what happens there. There is a code here, and it's why people kind of blew up at Krzyzewski last March with Dylan Brooks. If you are a coach on an opposing team, you don't go after the other players in any sort of way – that's like that. If you're a player on player, it's different. You're competing. You're the same. You're pulling, You're in college. It's 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 much different. But when you're in a stat, like when you're a professional, like these are professional coaches and they're getting paid, and you're going after 19, 20, 20 21 year olds, that's a big no-no. The details still haven't been sorted out. The Mountain West says it's reviewing the the incident, and it's it's just bizarre. It's it's different. It's not a good look for Terrence, and it's not a good look for Amagua either. But you know, clearly Eustace and and Craig Neal are in disagreement over um, what sparked this and what really went down and what happened, but we do have this odd video as well. So it was, uh, it was interesting. And it's really the first time we've had legitimate reason to talk about the Mountain West this year (laughs) because the conference, unfortunately, GP, the conference is not good. It's probably going to be a one bid league.
0: It is. uh, It certainly looks like a one bid league again. um, I I don't know the backstory. I mean, I know what I've read, but I don't actually know. Right. Certainly the two staffs are floating different stories. They're, They're not all in agreement here. Um, but just simply from watching the video, um, I would have liked – if I were an administrator, I would have liked my assistant coach to handle it better than Terrence handled that. I didn't think he – I don't think he – he might not have been the one who started it. But, like, I think the, I think coaches should be held to a different standard than student-athletes. And even if a student-athlete is mouthing at you or had done said something derogatory about you or your staff or your – anything – um, the coaches have to be held to a higher standard. You can't stand there and sort of stare down, because there's a way to do. It. We've all been in weird situations. There's there's a way to diffuse that, and there's a way to sort of, you know, keep it going a little bit. And again, simply, I don't know what happened before the video or after the video, but on that video, I don't think Terrence was doing everything he could do to diffuse that situation. Uh, so, we'll see if the Mountain West actually speaks on it. Um, after talking to all parties, because I know as of today, that's what they were trying to do, trying to get to the bottom of exactly how that situation uh, was created. Remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. Uh, so please do that. Uh, thank you all for listening a whole bunch. and We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.